everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. The coronavirus pandemic has made it abundantly clear that all of us are vulnerable in times of crisis. But it's also made it really clear which people in our society are most vulnerable. For seniors especially, the novel coronavirus poses a really dire threat. It also further isolates a population that already often struggles with loneliness, a problem that itself can lead to mental and physical health risks. And then there are the millions of Americans who are caring for elderly loved ones. What are they experiencing through all of this? How are they managing? That's where we want to begin the conversation today with the idea of what this pandemic is doing to the elderly among us and those of us who are caring for the elderly among us. And we especially want to hear from you. If you're an older adult or someone who's caring for a senior citizen or multiple senior citizens, call and tell us what this pandemic has meant for you and for your life and call and tell us how you are managing all of this. As always here on Detroit Today as well, we want to hear from you if you are just managing this in any way. Call and tell us how you're doing. Call and tell us what's changed around you. Call and tell us how you're getting through financially if you've lost a job or your business is shuttered because of all of this. Each day here on Detroit Today, we are trying to provide the kind of convening space where we can talk about these things, where we can be uh, together in a way that we can't be in the real world right now. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about her experience dealing with coronavirus and caring for elderly parents is Desiree Cooper. She is a journalist and activist and a full-time caregiver for her aging parents. Des, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's start with... uh, how you're doing. Uh, last year, we talked extensively about the challenges of caring for older adults with you. Talk about how those challenges are being compounded by this crisis. Well, that's that's kind of interesting because on some level, I have been social distanced for years. Um, mm-hmm. I moved in with my parents. Uh, I, I left Detroit and moved to Virginia where I don't know anyone um, have very few family, and because I've been caregiving for two parents, have very little opportunity to get out there and network and meet more people. So I've been in my own little bubble for a long time. Um, and so my day-to-day isn't significantly different. Mm. I think the, the biggest difference is has been... Um, just knowing that I, I cannot go to a, a re- sit down in a restaurant in, and order a pizza or something, you know, mm-hmm. that I, I can't wander in a bookstore. Those little things that were respites for me and kind of like my little golden time alones 
um, I can't do those things anymore. Um, but it's so interesting because I think on some level, people who are caregiving um, at home might have might have been more ready than a lot of people. Um, we often get our medications uh, delivered to the house. In fact, I used to say that shopping was my my the only thing I could do for fun uh, <laughs> to get out of the house. And even then, I would order groceries online and just drive to pick them up. Like the drive was the fun uh, because I couldn't leave my family home alone. So I've been doing groceries online. I've been doing shopping online. I've been doing medications online for years. Hmm. Um, and also trying to make sure that there's cleanliness. I mean, I have the rubber gloves here. We have masks here in case anyone gets a cold. Um, and so all of that has been my reality for a very long time. My 96-year-old aunt passed away from MRSA, mm. which is uh, a antibiotic-resistant staph infection mm-hmm. that she acquired a lot of people acquire that in the hospital. We think she acquired it literally at home because she was one of those seniors at home living alone and got increasingly isolated. I mean, we she also got very combative, so there was only so much we could do to help her. Yeah. But um, that's the flip side of, of the seniors who are are really really alone. I mean, my parents are, are, are lucky in that way because there is going to be somebody to sort of entertain them, put on some Motown music, you know, get them their best food, their favorite foods. She didn't have that and she wouldn't let people come in. She got increasingly paranoid and she literally died because of those choices and because she could not kind of keep the bacteria load low in her own environment. So we really do have to worry uh, about those. I'm babbling, but the, recently my dad also took a fall. And oh. the first oh, thing no. I thought, this happened last week, the first thing I thought was, oh, God, I can't take him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're, and he's fine. He was a little bruised and shaken up, but he's fine. He didn't have to go to the hospital. But that's the other thing is, like, you have a vulnerable population vulnerable population but if anything tips you're in big trouble yeah you know yeah um it's interesting that you say that life for you before was somewhat isolated because you're caring for your parents and you don't have complete control of your own time but i i also wonder if the the extreme iteration of that that we're feeling now mm-hmm. elevates the stress level for, for for you. I mean, not being able to get out at all versus only being able to get out sometimes. I just I just wonder and worry a little that that for someone like you in that situation is just even worse than it is for the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I don't want to um, act like you know. Um, we're sort of super people because we've been isolated a long time. I mean, that's the blessing and the curse, right? Mm -hmm. It's like um, after having done it for years, it feels like the stretch before me is just as long as it has been. 
And how am I going to weather that when, you know, one thing I, I would often do is walk with the neighbor in the evening. Mm. Well, I, I really can't do that. I mean, it's so, sort of no fun to stay six feet away from <laughs> a friend that you're walking with and wearing masks. I mean, I'd rather just go by myself at this point. So it's, you get very, very um, into your own space, into your own head, into your own world. And I will say stress is definitely um, a factor. I'm feeling sadness. Hmm. You know, I'm feeling a lot of sadness. Um, and is that and about is that about the situation, or is that about the the losses that we're all enduring right now? It, what what is the sadness connected to? Yes. <laughs> Have, yes, you all know, of it, right? it's one thing to to be in this kind of situation when there's, for example, I'm social isolating away from my my daughter's family hmm. and my grandchildren. Now, if you know anything about my Facebook page, mm-hmm. you know that it is loaded with my <laughs> grandchildren. Yes. And one of our, um, I always say uh, the children are our TV set. You know, they come over and we just watch them buzz around and be so full of life. And that's entertainment for my, my parents as well as me. You know, it's a diversion. Um, and that's gone. And I had to make that painful decision of saying we have to isolate separately. I have two vulnerable people in this house. My daughter's husband was still going into work. Hmm. Um kids are little germ factories and I just said we can't do that so now we are close to it's been three weeks since I've seen them in person wow um and so yeah it's it's and then it's the worry for them you know um what's going to happen if one of them gets sick so um it's the world it's the ticker on the news every day it's all of the people that we're losing in Detroit that we've known and loved forever, mm-hmm. young and old, and then it's our own personal stresses. You know, uh, it's my overriding feeling is sadness as opposed to stress. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist and author, a full time caregiver for her aging parents. And we're talking about how the coronavirus pandemic affects the elderly. The elderly, from a health perspective, are at more risk because of this virus. Uh, But this also is requiring us to sort of double down on behaviors that Mm -hmm. affect the elderly differently. Social distancing and isolation are things that a lot of elderly folks deal with all of the time and now have been become much more pronounced because of the things that we're doing to try to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, We really want to hear from you as well about your experiences with this. We want to hear from you if maybe you're an older adult who is trying to manage all of these things during the social distancing and the isolation. Call and tell us how you're getting through that, uh, how you're managing it. Uh, If you're somebody who's caring for an older relative or friend or neighbor even, uh, call and give us a a sense of what that looks like right now and how that feels. Uh, Also, give us a call. And as always here on Detroit Today, we just want to hear how you're doing through all of this. Uh, What is changing in your life uh, because of this? And how are you managing it? How are you managing it for your children 
for instance, who are, of course, home from school uh, all the time now. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Des, before we get to listeners, uh, I, I wonder if you can give us a sense of your parents' awareness of what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, have they had any reaction to the changes or to the things that they see and hear about what's what's going on? My mother is further along in her Alzheimer's journey than my dad. She's pretty oblivious. My dad is, um, he's in that uh, 30-second loop. You know, he has no short-term memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's watching TV and he's looking at those numbers and he's going, wow, this is really bad. And then he'll say, where are the kids? And I'm like, well, you know, we just looked at the virus and it's really bad, so they can't come over right now. And he'll say, but why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because 30 seconds ago, you just said it was bad. Right. So um, that makes it really difficult um, to sort of explain, you know, why the little things that they look forward to, even those have been sort of closed off to them. Um I think that part is harder on, on me to have to continuously, I always say my life is a million lies a day, you know, <laughs> like, do I just tell a lie and say, oh, they're in school, and that's easier because he got that mm-hmm. than to say the world's coming to an end, which he cannot wrap his mind around right. at this point. Um, I will say something is very funny. My dad is um, extreme left, and he used to watch the 24-hour news cycle all the time. <laughs> and um, now he watches the, the – I always have the uh, Trump um, press briefings on in the evenings. And he'll hear – catch one or two things, and he'll look at me and go, he's really taking control. He's really he's, – he's trying to do a good job. Mm. And it makes me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> on me you can't do that you know <laughs> and i can't have an argument with him over it right, right. so i'm just like fighting <laughs> through my tongue like no no you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of a disaster because of things he's not doing right <laughs> that's certainly my point of view and it would be his if he was able to comprehend everything so watching him flip sides on me in this moment <laughs> i i feel uh feel for people who have had to have that, those kind of arguments over holiday meals, et cetera, because uh, I haven't had to have that, but I'm having it now, even though it's internally. Yeah. Uh, Again, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us about your experiences with the elderly during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, If you are an older person uh, trying to get through this, we want to hear from you. We especially want to hear from folks who are caring for older parents and friends and neighbors at this time. Uh, what, what, what are your experiences? What's your sense of how this is all going? Let's start with uh, Lee Andrea in Lake Orion. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank Hi. you. Uh-huh. Um, yes, I, I do not have parents that I have to take care of. My parents live um, about 60 miles away and 
they are in decent health at this time. So there's not a worry about that. Um, I have a sister who lives closer to them, so she's been helping out with deliveries and, and stuff like that. But um, my issue is a little more selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been a teacher for 34 years of special needs kids. And right now I'm on my drive into Birmingham where I'm the teacher and they've been get, they gave us all a 20 minute slot where we can go into the building and get whatever we need to teach our students for the remainder of the school year Mm -hmm. and then get out of there. Wow. And this is the year that I plan to um, retire. And I didn't, I didn't tell my students who I am very, very close to and, Mm -hmm. and, and love. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell the rest of the staff. And so it's kind of a goodbye to an empty building today, which selfishly makes me very sad. Yeah. I know I'm blessed. I'm getting a paycheck. I get to work and I get to interact with the kids at least on a virtual level for a few more weeks. But, um, yeah, I kind wow. of wanted to do this a little differently in my head. Yeah. Yeah. No, Leander, I think that's a really poignant story. And, and, I think that all of us are looking around at what was our lives just a few weeks ago and sort of assessing the things that are no longer part of it. They're no longer there. And that's a big, that's a big one. The idea of leaving work after a long period of time and leaving students who are your work, uh, without being able to, to, do that in a with the, the kind of human connection that we're used to, or or be able to to celebrate that and with, with them. I mean, I'm I'm really sorry about that, and and uh, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah, I, I I I am sorry too. I'm tearing up just listening to you. Um, how people are so committed and essential workers. We you know if if we haven't learned anything, we've learned what an essential person is in our society and it's mm-hmm. rarely the ones that we have been paying a lot of money for <laughs> before mm-hmm. this happened. And teachers certainly are them. Um I think that's kind of an overriding um experience for all of us and that is the inability to say goodbyes. And mm-hmm. so it's not just goodbyes to those who are falling victim to the virus, but goodbyes to sort of ways of life, um, goodbyes to things that were possible that are no longer possible. You know, it's just, it's just been a profound loss. Um, our businesses, you know, um, and you don't know from day to day if it's ever coming back. Like if you've already had your last time to have ice cream at the corner shop, like mm. is, have you already had your last coffee at your neighborhood coffee shop? Have you already bought your last book from your corner store? You know, I mean, all of those things are just so they're weighing on us at this point, not even to mention the funerals that we can't have yes. and the closings, the retirements, the saying goodbye to your high school career and graduations, you know, saying goodbye to your friends at graduations as you separate. So those goodbyes, um, those ways that we would have ceremonies around those mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have disappeared. And that is really tough to process. It's painful. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. just one of those things that 
that you just can't figure out a way to make sense of. Uh, you know, there's no justice in it. There's no there's no silver lining to any of it. It's it's just loss, and it and it mm-hmm. and it hurts. Um, okay, Leandra. Uh, again, we really appreciate the call and the comments. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Des Cooper about uh, elder care during the pandemic. Uh, stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Lloyd and Pontiac will get to you next. We're going to talk a little about how this fits into the public policy conversation about elder care and things we might want to rethink once things get back to some semblance of normalcy around us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist and author and a full-time caregiver for her aging parents. We're talking to her about the idea of how to manage elder care uh, during the pandemic, uh, the things that uh, affect older people, including this virus, which is more deadly for them than for other people, but also the kinds of social changes that we're experiencing and how they affect uh, not only older people, but also the people who care for older people. We want to hear from you about what your experiences are. If you're an older adult, uh, give us a call and let us know how things are going in your world, uh, how they are different because of coronavirus. And if you're somebody who's caring for an older relative or a friend or a neighbor, uh, give us a call and let us know how your world has changed in just the last few weeks. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag uh, Detroit Today. and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Des, I want to talk a little about policy and solutions around elder care that we might be sort of uh, learning a little more about because of the pandemic. I wonder what kind of help you feel like you need uh, and what kind of help your parents need, not just because of what's going on now, but uh, things that might make better sense once we're not dealing with a deadly virus that uh, that is spreading everywhere. Well, it might it might really make us start rethinking um, nursing care, nursing homes, um, the way they're structured, um, and and how they, um, you know, this this broke out in the United States in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's you got. You know, what a perfect storm to put the most vulnerable of the population all together and not have it um, controlled so that you can't control what's brought in, what goes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if it, in-home care is hasn't always been the best idea um, for as long as that can happen, and it certainly can be very cost-effective. The problem with the way it's structured now is um, it is expensive, but 
uh, the brunt is on the families and the caregivers, even though there's some, you know, some moderate help policy-wise. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to really start looking at that. I mean, I'm thinking about people who um, have put their parents in nursing homes, you know, for all the right reasons and all their personal reasons, and now they have to wave at them, you know, out, outside the lawn through the window, you know. Yeah. Uh, they can't even touch them or see them. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's time to, you know, I'm just thinking about all the other uh, instances where we figured out that local community-based services are really the way to go. We figured that out with um, affordable housing, that not to crowd people all in one space, but to do scattered site affordable mm-hmm. housing. Um, we've we know that in prisons, even though we don't um, scatter them, but certainly um, people are moved out as soon as they can into um, halfway houses. Um, you know, group homes have uh, been a solution to mass institutionalization. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's kind of been the way we've gone from more centralized to decentralized for a lot of things. And I'm wondering if nursing care might be that next thing. Yeah. It's expensive any way you cut it. You know, I mean, I don't know how cost-efficient it is to have nurses go home-to-home-to-home home home <laughs> versus yeah. have all the patients in one place where the nurses can go bed-to-bed-to-bed. But maybe for a certain level of care, you know, every effort, just like we do in um, child care, every effort to keep the child in the home, we might have to really reinforce that. Right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Guisak in Detroit. Guisak, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hi, thanks Hi. for taking my call. Yeah. So I'm a live-in caregiver for an elder with paraplegia. He's an activist. Many of you know Baba Baxter Jones. Mm, and yeah. I have a lot of concerns about what's going on here. First of all, you know, caregiving, those of you who are caregivers know that it requires a lot of skill, a lot mm-hmm. of life experience, a lot of really, a huge range of skills. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest work I've ever done. And I get paid minimum wage. You yeah. know, I'm 56 years old, I have a master's degree, and I'm getting paid minimum wage to do this really important, necessary, difficult work. Maybe the hardest work I've ever done. <clears throat> and so, can we use this moment to really lift up um, the plight of caregivers who are being grossly underpaid. Mm. And we're talking about um, Medicaid, you know, for people who are on Social Security who are on Medicaid. And, um, in fact, Baba Baxter has been prescribed 24-7 care, but Medicaid will only cover 49 hours. Oh, wow. And that's at minimum wage. So, so I'm doing this because I'm his friend. You know, I'm doing this because I believe in the work and I believe in him. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, you know, normally, like I said, he gets he, he only gets 49 hours a week when he really needs more. So we have a crew of friends and volunteers, a team who comes in to assist me. But during this pandemic, they're not able to come. Right. Right. Which means I'm alone with all these duties wow. day in and day out, week after week. And it's really difficult and that brings up another point, which is that caregivers should be getting tested, you know, because because then we would be able to uh, expand our team of people helping out, you know, without 
feeling like anybody's being jeopardized. People with disabilities, caregivers need to be tested, you know, even without symptoms, because as we know, at least a quarter of people who have the virus are not showing symptoms. Right. right. Um, and then the third thing I want to make, um, yeah, uh, yeah, those are the three things, the okay. minimum wage, the testing, and the respite care. Yeah. So uh, wondering if you all you'll have any suggestions. Sure, Gwisak, I really appreciate your calling and sharing your perspective. It's it's a little different than Des Cooper's, who's, you know, she's dealing with family members this way, but, but a lot of people are in the position of doing this for work and as a job, and uh, we don't value the people who do that very, very highly, I think. I think that's, Amen. Uh, and I mean, amen to everything she said. I mean, it's like I said before, now we know who the critical workers are in our society, and they're the ones who are paid the least. That's it's, right. It's completely ridiculous. Um, one of my experiences coming into caregiving is how often I said to myself, I don't know how to deal with this. And I'm Googling, I'm calling people, like I don't have the training to do the job I'm doing. Mm. And I've had to acquire it on the job, like two, including lifting. My mother has, you know, fallen on the floor many times and I can't get her off the floor, mm. you know, until I talk to someone who's a skilled caregiver who explained to me the best way to do it and to have her, you know, help. She doesn't follow any commands, so it's, I can't say put your feet under you or uh-huh. push up, anything mm-hmm. like that. So um, it's a skill, and it's a skill to be able to recognize symptoms. You know, things like uh, UTIs are very common among seniors, and they really urinary tract infections, and they present way differently than they do in a younger population. And so it can go on for a long time until it's a kidney infection or someone who doesn't know the symptoms doesn't understand what's happening to the patient. So it's ridiculous. (laughs) This whole system is just so upside down and so ridiculous. Yeah, I feel like there there are so many things that, that we're seeing right now were broken already. Yeah. And yeah. and that this only highlights or spotlights just how broken they were. Yes. And, you know, the real question for me is once this is, quote unquote, over, whatever that is going to mean, uh, how do we how do we reassess those things? And, and do we have the 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 will to to really take a look at ourselves mm-hmm. and some of the things that we do and say, boy, there's got to be a better way to handle all of this. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Uh, talk. I really appreciate the call and uh, and your perspective on this. Let's go to Lloyd in Pontiac. Lloyd, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm a healthcare worker, and I work for um, I work with seniors um, most of the time. Um, I just wanted to interject my perspective on institutional care, not necessarily skilled nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people who are in lockdown now in the assisted living and memory care places and even the uh, independent living places. Um, I just wanted to stress the importance of proper placement of people in whatever category they are in, because right now the assisted, uh, the independent living places that I go to, I see people falling apart because they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. Mm. Um 
their families usually help them with medications and laundry and what have you, and then all of a sudden there's a lockdown and there is nothing in place um, to back those residents up. You know, I'm, I'm seeing people uh, missing their medications. I'm seeing people uh, not with clutter in their rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to mm. stress the importance of looking at your parents, um, see what they can do, and not be too um, expecting of them when you are going to place them in um, assisted living, independent living, and yeah. places like that. So, so Lloyd, are you are you suggesting that that assisted living is just not the the better choice for for people or no no not at all not at all um it it is it is it is the right choice if it is it is the right choice if it is well for one cost effective because it is really expensive sure um and if the person is if the if the adult uh your parents are fitting into that category yeah yeah. You know, so because sometimes um, what I, I have seen people mostly in the independent living facilities being placed there mm-hmm. because the kids, the, the, the residents kids think that their parents can do more. Yeah. Yeah. Lloyd, I really, really appreciate the call. Uh, and the comments, uh, you know, the, the, the assisted living versus in-home care. Uh, versus in paid in home care. I mean, these are these are choices that we all end up facing at some point as with our parents. Talk about how you came to the decision that that you made to take care of them at home and have you be the person doing it. Um, you know, when I was listening to Boy talk, I'm I'm thinking of people that I know that have put their parents uh, into independent living, and mm-hmm. as much as it is about the the competency of the parents Mm -hmm. live independently. It's also kind of a political move to ease them. It's like they're moving into an apartment and they they can move their own pieces in there and it can look something like their home. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that you often cannot do in assisted living and certainly not in a nursing home. You might be able to move a picture, a couple picture frames on a blanket, but the bed's the bed, you know, the Mm -hmm. furniture's the furniture. Mm -hmm. So, it's sort of a way to get them to start moving toward higher levels of care, and it may not be uh, totally based on whether or not they can be independent, but it's the only way to get them to move from their home into some sort of um, more uh, manageable living situation. And then something like this happens and they're stuck, you know? Sure. So... I, I I think sometimes it's a family argument, you know, and that's how it gets solved. Um, I moved in um, largely because my family is small. Both of my parents needed, I had so many people when I was in Detroit saying, why don't you move your mother up here? I'm like, oh, great. And leave my father in the house alone, managing a house, a yard and driving. Mm-hmm. Um, I have just one brother, one sibling who is in the metro area here in Virginia who um, works like 60 hours a week, but also isn't of the best of health himself. And then I had the 96-year-old aunt that had no children. Mm. So I had three seniors and a brother 
any number combination of whom might have needed support. So it made no sense for me to try to move anybody to Michigan. It yeah. only made sense for me to come to, to come Virginia, Virginia. Yeah. and sort of rebuild a community, a, you know, a family community that we could take care of each other. So yeah. it was sort of a no-brainer. But even when I did, you know, my dad would look at me and, and almost say, essentially, what are you doing here? When are you going home? <laughs> like he had no idea of the level of help he needed. Mm. And... I also moved before he needed the level that he needs now, you know, so it was like a preemptive strike as well. You cannot make all these decisions in the throes of the need, you know, waiting lists are long. It's not easy to get care. It's horrible navigating these systems of Medicaid and insurance, et cetera. And so if you're doing it while your parent, you know, is in desperate need, Mm you've probably missed the boat already. Yeah. Okay. Desiree Cooper, journalist and author. It's always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. We really hope you're taking care there in Virginia, not only of your parents, but also the rest of your family and yourself during this pandemic. Well, thank you. It's tough times for everyone, no matter the situation. So we've got to love each other. And listen to your mind and check on that person that's sort of been weighing on your heart. Make sure you do that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, up next, we're going to speak with the founder and CEO of a local organization that is helping the families, the families of aging adults. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. John on the east side, Jackie in Huntington Woods. We'll get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Celebrating 70 years of radio in Detroit. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking this hour about the effect of the coronavirus pandemic on some of the vulnerable populations among us, and in particular, senior citizens who are more susceptible to the medical dimension of this disease, but who also are differently affected by things like social distancing and isolation, issues that all of us are kind of dealing with right now, sometimes in a novel way, but issues that sometimes are more common among senior citizens, even outside the context of a pandemic. We want to hear from you this hour as well. If you're an older adult, give us a call and tell us how you're doing and how you're managing the social distancing and isolation. If you are caring for an elderly relative or a friend or a neighbor, we especially want to hear from you as well about how that is going, how you're managing all of the changes that uh, the coronavirus pandemic is forcing us to endure. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Joining us now to talk more about this issue is Wendy Jones. She is the founder and CEO 
of Next Steps for Seniors. Wendy, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, your original concept for this work was to help people when they're overwhelmed by caregiving for an elderly loved one by either placing them in a senior assisted living facility, a nursing home or hospital care, depending on what they need. In the last few weeks, though, tell us how that work has changed. Well, um, obviously, with the social distancing, we have um, worked remotely out of our homes, but we have still been able to walk alongside families via phone. And of course, we would much rather be with them face to face and see our residents face to face. But we've been able to adapt and do everything remotely, and we still are able to give them the care and the time that they need. So what your previous uh, speaker was was talking about, navigating through those difficult times, is exactly what we do, but we do it remotely, Mm. and it's working. We do virtual tours. We're able to send pictures of places so people can make an educated decision based upon the information we give them. Wow. Um, Are any senior communities or living centers in Metro Detroit still allowing new people to come in as as, during this pandemic? I mean, if you have a situation where you need to get care for a relative. Yes. How do you do it right now? Yes. So uh, so my organization really, um, we've called pretty much every single one, personally contacted all the communities in the metro Detroit area. Uh, we cover southeastern Michigan. But we've been able to really, um, I would say about 50% are still taking admissions. There are some that are not taking admissions anymore. But, you know, when someone's coming out of the hospital that doesn't have COVID-19, what does a family like that do? And that's where they call us and we're able to help them find the, the right place. And sometimes it might only be for 30 or 40 days until we get through this epidemic. And then we can make a transition into a community that they might prefer. But for now, I think everybody desperate times call for desperate measures. So we're all working really hard to get everybody in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think you, if you were in that situation, you would wonder about or maybe worry about is that if you place someone in a facility like this, that during a pandemic, like the one we're experiencing or other kind of emergency situation, that they'd just be left in their rooms alone uh, and not not sort of experiencing the, the socializing that is is part well, of being in a home like this. Uh, right. Well, I'll tell you, Stephen, I've been extremely impressed with um, the industry. People are truly rallying and coming up with creative ways. I can give you some examples that I think are just um, endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one example is they have happy hour every day. And what they do is they bring the residents to their door. They open the door. So every resident is in their room and they have a cart and they're coming down the, you know, the staff obviously is all in PPE. Mm -hmm. They're coming down the hallways and they're giving, they're playing music, they're making it fun, and they're giving each resident water. So they're hydrating the residents, giving them a time to have a little bit of socialization from a distance and making it fun at the same time. So that's just one small way. I mean, they have been so creative and I've been so impressed with what our senior communities are doing. Another one has um, a receptionist that does hair and nails. So they pulled her from the front desk and they have her going in to see these sweet residents and doing their hair and nails so they feel good about themselves. And it gives them that personal contact that nobody else would be able to do. But of course, they're all in 100% garb. 
Um, but yeah, those are the things that they're stepping out and doing differently. And it's really a time for us to rally around our seniors. Mm. As always, again, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. Let's go to Ed in Warren. Ed, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. We got a first time on the senior. I went out yesterday for the first time. I drove around the block to Mm -hmm. the bank and home. Did not go in anywhere. But we got to change terminology from social distancing to physical distancing. Hmm. Hmm. Well, in other words, that we're not always disconnected from each other because of this, that we're physically disconnected. It shouldn't be social isolation. It should be physical. That's six feet. Yeah, right. No, Ed, I think you're you're right. And words matter, right? Uh, If you say social distancing, you may be embracing something that we're not even being asked to do and something that's a little more damaging. And, of course, when we have our time here on Detroit Today each day, this is a form of connecting as well. And it's never physical, even outside the context of the pandemic, but it is a way to connect with the other people in, in our community. So, Ed, I, I appreciate that. And I will start using that term instead of social distancing. It's physical distancing. Uh, Wendy Jones, I wonder what you make of that. Yes, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's a time that we need to as much as we can, a lot of our residents are using Skype and FaceTime and connecting with their loved ones so they can see them from a distance. And I think it is important that they don't feel like they're alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also, yeah, go ahead. even if I can throw one more thing out, I also have um, Next Steps for Seniors Foundation, which helps low-income seniors who can't afford to live in assisted living, mm-hmm. and they kind of fall through the cracks, you know, from being eligible for assistance. And that foundation right now is reaching out to our low-income seniors that are in some of these apartment complexes, and they're not able. They, some of them are on food stamps. I got a call from a lady yesterday who, you know, she's 80 years old. She's on food stamps. She's in an apartment. Her children are out of state. And we were able to um, connect her with some resources so that she was able to um, get the food she needed. I actually found an organization called Visiting Angels out of mm. Farmington Hills. Shout out to them because they are taking <laughs> this and going out and buying groceries and bringing them to these uh, sweet people. So there are some amazing opportunities that I think people are really rallying around and making a difference right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, again, Ed, uh, thanks very much for the call and the important uh, linguistic tip there about how we Talk about what we're experiencing. Let's go to Dan in Detroit. Dan, welcome hey, to the show. Stephen, thanks so much for all you're doing. It's terrific. Thank you. Uh, the other day, my wife was talking to uh, Carol, my son's wife, and they invited us to, uh, to come for Easter. They're about 40 miles away in South Lyons. Mm. We're in Detroit. And, of course, we really want to go. Uh, but I said to my wife, Rita, you know, uh, it's going to be at the top of the epidemic, and it might not be a good time to go. I'm wondering what what you think about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, Dan, my reading of the restrictions that the governor has put in place and the, the guidelines that we're hearing from public health officials says that you probably – shouldn't go and that uh, maybe they shouldn't even be hosting a a dinner where they're welcoming people 
into their homes. I know that's kind of a crushing thing to consider given that it's an important holiday and it's a time that we would normally be with family. But but I do think that the the level of danger involved at this point is just it's just too high to, to take those kinds of risks. Uh, Wendy Jones, I wonder if you have any. Yeah, I concur. Definitely. I think that, you know, this is a time we can um, celebrate in other ways. I think that, you know, it's obviously still a special time of the year, but at this moment, the physical distancing is our last caller that I think is real critical for everyone's safety. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Dan, I, I wonder if you could, Participate virtually in your mm-hmm. son and his wife's uh, Easter dinner. I mean, I've heard about a lot of people doing that as well, and it's a, just a safer way to 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 do things at this time. So, we wish you luck with that, and 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 hope that things get better soon, so that we can all be with our families in person. Let's uh, quickly go to John on the east side. John, I've got about a minute left, but I wanted to squeeze you in here. So this is in reference to the question, are we going to learn from this? And I, I go no further back than the uh, the great uh, power outage of 2003 uh, that was caused by disinvestment, de- deregulation, and us Americans being too cheap. And uh, I think we'll soon forget about this and run on to the next emergency that comes into our lives. Mm. Hopefully that's not the, the I, case. I do hope that's not the case. John, I really hope that's not the case. And I think, uh, you know, opportunities like this, when they present themselves, come along with obligation. And that obligation is to take it seriously and to figure out how to make things how to make things better. So and it's up to us to do it. It's up to those of us who believe that's true to insist that those things get discussed and maybe enacted or there are changes that we embrace after this is over. So I, I, I appreciate the reminder that, uh, that that's a difficult thing to achieve, but I think all of us have to keep our, our minds in that space and, and be ready to, to advocate for those things. Okay, Wendy Jones. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I want to just add one more thing because sure. I, I concur with that, and I think we need to be reminded. You know, our, our allegiance says one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And we have gotten so far away from one nation under God. You know, I believe that's why we can't get the rest of that statement correct. So Mm. we have to remember these moments. We have to make a change. Yeah. Okay. Wendy Jones, founder and CEO of Next Steps for Seniors. It was really great to have you here. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. That's going to do it for me today. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.